It has been in these evenings of tremendous blessing to be gathered together in this way. And even though there's a bit of a few raindrops it is a marvelous thing to see the number of people dedicated to a service like this and who chose to come on a Tuesday night meeting and we welcome you here. And uh, please do not worry about the sound system. If the only thing I'm interested in is that you people back there can hear. Are we hearing back there towards the back? Are we hearing and over here? Are we able to hear? And, and maybe if the face is turned this way, then you don't get it back here. I don't know how that is. And so let's just ask the Lord to amplify what needs to be understood and, and maybe forget about what should have been said anyway. And so we hope this gets to you tonight. We thank you for your patience and your kindness in considering what these dear men are trying to do to get this system to work. So all will be well. I want to give just a brief review of the last two evenings. And this will be very, very short. But some of you have not been here. And maybe you would like to get caught up a little bit. And some of you that were here, it should serve as a review. And what I have done already is, is ask a series of questions to the congregation about the messages that they were hearing to see if some of these ideas are getting a hold in our hearts. And so you will, you will be able to use this bit of a review to see just what you remember from what we were, were saying there on Sunday night and then last night. God is incomprehensible. That was Sunday night. He can be known as God, and yet His ways and His thoughts are far beyond our own. Now I'm going to read to you something that Jesus said in Matthew 11, speaking of this incomprehensible God, which means that we are not capable of understanding Him. We cannot comprehend Him, which means get Him inside a certain limitation Inside the confines of our understanding and hold him there. He transcends that. He is bigger than that. But we're in Matthew 11. And I'm going to read a verse here. 27. All things are delivered unto me of my Father. And no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son. And he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. And so we can know Him, but by the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ in our hearts. And that Jesus Himself said that He that has seen me has seen the Father. And we cannot know the Father if we do not know Christ. And we cannot claim to be believers in God and reject our Lord Jesus. And so Jesus is making that very clear here in Matthew 11. Paul said something very interesting in 1 Corinthians. In chapter 2. And I did not read these verses on Sunday night. But it's in review. It's good to look at these passages. Verse 11 says. For what man knoweth the things of man. Save the spirit of man which is in him. Even so the things of God knoweth no man. But the spirit of God. We have an incomprehensible God. We want to understand that. We can compare God. With nothing that we know about. And the Bible makes various attempts to say God is like, or God is like, or God is like. 
And we must understand when the Bible says that, that that does not mean that this thing which God created, that the Creator created, can be compared to the Creator Himself. But it's a likeness. It gives us an understanding. It, it at least brings us closer. It's God's attempt to reveal to us as much as these human minds can understand. And we, and we must realize here we're looking at a creator and a creation. We're not looking at an inventor and an invention. We're looking at a creator and a creation. And the difference between that is extremely great. And when we compare God with anything that we know about, we are comparing God with creation. But He's creator. And we must always be aware of that. And maybe it's appropriate to pause here and say that although God is incomprehensible, it's a tremendous blessing that when we are not overwhelmingly gifted with the gifts that God can give us, we are continually aware of and conscious of and benefiting from having the giver himself with us. And having the giver with us and knowing that he is ours and we are his is worth more than any amount of gifts that can be given to us. Having the giver with us, having the creator as our God. That is the point here. And yet this God of heaven has revealed himself in his creation and in his written word. And in the person and life of our Lord Jesus He that has seen me has seen the Father. That was Sunday night. Last night, we went a little different direction. And though the heart can believe what the mind cannot comprehend, God remains transcendent, beyond, above. In Spanish, we would say masajade, anything that we know about. He's, He's greater than that. He's beyond that. And, and if we would do anything to say, we, we, we think we have a hold of God here. We think we grabbed him by something. We have a hold of a piece of him. He, he, he's that far beyond that we don't understand what we're talking about. We're talking about eternity here. And we're talking about the universe here. And we're talking about limitless infinity here. And God is not limited to anything. So we want to understand that. He is infinite, he is self-existent, he's omnipotent. And these words we cannot understand. What does it mean that something is omnipotent? We, we heard, had it read to us there in 139 Psalm, verses 13 to 18. A God that can do what it said in those six verses has to be an omnipotent God. And this 13-year-old boy that was sitting up here last night, What God had to do to put that little life together, and the only one like it in all the world, don't let anyone destroy that life that is created in the image of God. And there are parents here tonight that have children at home that you don't know what to do with. There are children that get on your nerves, and there are children that don't seem to respond to correction, and there are children that you wonder how they're ever going to turn out, and there are children that you ask counsel about, and you ask prayer for them in the prayer meeting, You've got children at home and you say, how is this ever going to go? You might be frustrated with that child. You might say to yourself, I've done all that I know to do for him. What is left to be done? Let me assure you that that child 
has been equipped and prepared by an almighty God. And you just bring that child to the altar of God. And you let the Lord know that you want his help to raise that child. And you let God know that this is a holy gift that's to glorify his name. And I have seen children that you would have thought when they were five years old or 15 years old, they won't amount to anything. That today are tremendous testimonies for the grace of God. And your child will be that way. Place him on the altar of God, Mama. And trust the Lord to bless your child, Daddy. It's a blessing to have a, ch- a child. And some of the naughtier ones turn out to be the most powerful, consecrated vessels on the face of the earth. And so, praise the Lord for your child. Thank God for your child. Bless the Lord for your child. Yeah, we cannot explain omnipotence. We cannot explain transcendence. We can, but we can have our move about our hearts and worship the eternal majesty that is our sovereign God. We can worship Him. And this mysterium tremendum that is God can by faith become our own God. He is unique to you. And He is unique to me. Like He is to no other person. You are unique to Him and He is unique to you. And being so, our lives can only be complete and fulfilling as they are fully yielded and surrendered to the divine will. And so I want to encourage us that way. Be yielded to God. You, you know of a Christian. You know of a Christian who stumbles around and makes a lot of mistakes and gets in trouble with the church. You know of Christians that... that uh, Make a lot of mistakes and you say to yourself, when will they ever wake up and when will they ever mature and when will they ever get their lives straightened out? But there's one thing about that person that you don't know, that God knows. And that is this, that that person has on their knees in true sincerity, has told God, I'm a mess, but here I am and do with me what you want done. And God knew it was sincere. And God knew they meant it. And God worked on it. God took it by the horns and dehorned it. God purified it. God blessed it. God sanctified the vessel. God chose to use it. God knew it was a sincere prayer. You're I'm going to take a chance and say this. It's a a, a terrible risk that I'm taking tonight. But I'm going to say it tonight. You're locked and trapped and addicted to pornography. And you're sitting here and hearing about this drawer that will be emptied out. Didn't we hear about that? You're sitting here wondering, what do I do with my pornography? I've read the books. I've gone to the counseling centers. I've done what I can do about it. I've confessed to this how many times. I've been put on church discipline. I've been silenced from the ministry. What do I do about it? And after you've done all of that, there's one thing you need to do. You take that pornography to God 
And you just say, I'm locked and trapped in this terrible addiction. And I give you the right in my life to do anything necessary to get me free of it. It's all yours. I give you a free ticket to do anything in my life. Take my eyesight. If you want to be free from addiction of adult uh, 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 por- pornography, God will help you to do it. If it's in a, a sincere prayer, if it's an honest heart, if it's a true desire to be set free from sin, God will set you free from your sin. He loves you. If you're sincere, God knows how to deal with sincerity in every heart. I'm going to go one step further. You say, Brother Dale, how do I know if I'm sincere or not? The heart's deceitful above all things. You read that in Jeremiah 17. Who can know it? How do I know if it's sincere? Ask God. Tell God. I might not be sincere. Tell God. I don't want to play games with you. Tell God. I want this thing to be real in my life. It will be sincere. A young man 3,000 miles from here heard a sermon on complete consecration. He heard a sermon and I said that no life can truly be God's very, very own and no one can have God as his own, very own God who is not completely yielded and surrendered to Him. How is God ever going to get out of our lives the holy purpose for which He created us? Unless He has total access 24-7 to that life. So He was hearing this message of consecration. And He began to realize that my assets, my business, my fortune, my who would, who knows what? How do I know if there's anything in my life that's standing between me and God? How do I know it's all surrendered, all given to Him? How do I know that it's all on the altar? How do I know that I'm holding on to nothing? How do I know? And he prayed. He said, Lord, I give you the right in my life to test my commitment, but it's yours, Lord. And not long after that, he was driving towards his home in his pickup truck. And he saw up ahead a, a glow of red in the sky. And he began to wonder, what might that be up there? It didn't seem like it was too very far from where his home was. As he got closer, he saw that his business had gone up in flames. And what he lost in that fire was a tremendous amount of money. He told me, Brother Dale, I rejoice that God heard my prayer and what he did in my life. A short time after that, he was ordained to the ministry. And a short time after that, called to be a bishop in his congregation. And then God gave him other assignments. But that complete consecration and dear ones, If anybody ever goes up in smoke, 
He is perfectly capable, our Father is, to take care of the needs that remain because He's working in our hearts and not on the barn. He's working in our hearts and not in the business. He's working in our hearts. He's, he, he's, he's trying to verify and to prove it's fully and totally His. That's what God is doing. Let's pray. Father, tonight we need your help. We need your presence. We need your voice. We need your words. We need your understanding. We need your wisdom. We need your illustrations. We need you to teach us. We need you to feed us. We need you to encourage us. We need you to bless this audience tonight. We need you to bless this tent meeting. We ask you to be present here. Oh God, come and grant the hearing, grant the speaking, grant the understanding. Dear God, bless tonight this service. Be glorified in this meeting, we pray tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So we move on to this third message here. <clears throat> Has to do with our concept of God. I'm going to just speak to you a few moments, then read you a text from the book of Exodus. As we relate to others, as I meet people and seek to minister to their, in a personal way, to their unique and specific needs, it becomes very evident that some and perhaps many people do not have a biblical concept of God. One of the things that I do in the ministry that we have is I write a lot of letters to people around the world, usually using a, some kind of email service. We receive a lot of letters and try to answer those letters just sent one to Cuba the day before I left. We, we, it's a lot of correspondence like that. And one of the things I discover when people are writing, mothers are writing about needs in their home, preachers are writing about needs in their churches, fathers are writing about struggles with their wives and with their addiction problems and things like that. And one of the things that comes out, one of the things you discover as you listen to them speak or write you find out that there's a wrong concept of God. We don't quite understand who God is, the God of the Bible. We don't have a Bible understanding of God. We need a Bible concept of God. That is the concept of God that's found in the Christian's Bible. We need that understanding of God. In Costa Rica, many, many people... Speak about God like this. Ah, si, 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 Diosito, Diosito, si, Diosito, si, Diosito, si, Diosito, estuviera de acuerdo. What are they saying when they say that? When you put an ITO ending on a word in Spanish, you're trying to get something little, manageable, little Dios. Diosito. This little puppet god, this little mannequin that we take care of, and we make him bounce. And we can. 
Where, where does that concept of God come from? It does not come from Psalm 139, Brother Ivan. That omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient God of Psalm 139. He's not a Dioseto. And one Costa Rican lady said, Jesus said que Diosito está preocupado. Did you think the little the little Gaudi up there about some of these little sins that take place? You think he's worried about that? Diosito, that's not a concept of God that's in the Bible. I want us to understand that. We try to teach this at home. That is not the people hear that expression where we live. It's far from an understanding of God. Brothers, God is the opposite. Brother people, God is a tyrant. He is a ruthless and capricious ruler without a heart for humanity. And many people from so-called Anabaptist backgrounds have that view of God. And they know very well they can do nothing to please Him. They do know, they know very well they cannot relate to Him. They know very well they cannot depend upon Him. They know very well that they're not in a condition to pray to Him. They know very well that the reasons why He will not answer them if he, if they would speak to Him. And the prayer life of a person like that is almost nothing. And some people have that concept of God. Others conceive of a supreme being who cannot be known and with whom there is no personal relationship, which is a, a way of explaining what Gnosticism is. And many people have that view of God. Others believe in a God who offers health and wealth and prosperity They build crystal cathedrals, promote positive thinking. And I ask you a question tonight. Is that God, with that concept of God, is that the God of the martyr church? Is that the God of the martyrs? Is that the God of the pilgrim church? And you know the answer is no. You know that. And then we have the all-American Jesus. The all-American God. The God of the flag in the country. The one who has made America great. While others are attempting to make America great again. And. uh, I know I don't want to disappoint anybody here. But God's also interested. God's interested in Egypt. God is interested in Bangladesh. God has a vested interest in North Korea. Do you know why? He has children there. Please remember that. We have wrong concepts of God. Now I said all of that, gave those examples, so that we are doing something in the audience. And we begin to think, what is my concept of God? And if I would ask you to open a Bible and read a Bible verse, 
that clearly explains in one verse your concept of God, which verse would you read? What do you think about God? I want to read to you something God said about himself in Exodus 33, 34. Let's turn there. For some reason, I'm not quite sure if it's 33 or 34. We'll find out here in just a moment. Yes, it'll be chapter 34 of Exodus. I'd like to read here verses 5 through 8. And since my voice is limited in how much you do, maybe you would follow along in your Bible. If you have a version that's a little bit different from this Bible version, I trust that you will get the impact of these verses This is God speaking here to Moses. Verse 5, And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the children's children unto the third and fourth generation. And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Moses had an outstanding view of God, a very clear concept of God. And this is a very interesting description of God given in an Old Testament context. It's a very interesting concept of God that comes from Him Himself. Now we have in the Christian Bible, and I hope this is not too complicated, I hope that you can understand this the way I'm meaning to get it across to you, but it is a truth that will not hurt you to try to think about it. It won't do you any damage in your upper story to try to get these thoughts in there and get them acclimated and somehow another Placed in Let's see if we can do that. But there is in the Christian's Bible what we can tonight a progressive revelation of the knowledge of God. That means to say that as we go start in the creation Genesis one and move on through the unfolding drama of salvation history, we learn new things about God as we go along. There is a progressive revelation. Now let's take those words and make them practical. That is to say that Moses knew things about God, understood things about God that Abraham did not know nor understand. And that would seem strange for me to say that if the Bible itself would not say it. But the Bible says it. And I'll show it to you. You're already open to Exodus, so just go back earlier in that book. To chapter 6. Verse 2, And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, by the name of God Almighty. But by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. And you say to me, Theologically, what difference does it make? What does it matter? That's the way Abraham knew him. 
Abraham knew God as the Lord God Almighty. He knew God as the Most High God. Learned that expression from Melchizedek, chapter 14, Genesis. What's the difference between an Almighty God and a Jehovah God? I, I would love to have an Almighty God. God is always an Almighty God. There is nothing God cannot do. He's omnipotent. As Spanish says, todo poderoso. That's a tremendous word in Spanish. Almighty. No limitations. Anything God wants to do, He can do. And is that the God you have? Is that the God you worship? Is that the God you relate to? Is that the God you call upon? But listen to this. Jehovah. Yahweh. I am that I am. And he's scratching his boils with potsherds. He's scraping his skin of his disease. He's lost his children and his asses and his camels. He's lost all of his goods. His wife says, curse God and die. I'm talking about Job. And God comes to Job. And God could say, Job, don't worry about it. I've got 937 tractor-trailer trucks, each one 53 feet long. Each one's loaded with cattle and with goods and with merchandise. And they're going to be unloading here in the next 15, 16, 18 days. Unload that stuff, it's all yours. I'm bringing it in here. Have it, Job. And God didn't say that to Job. And God comes to Job. Job. Everything's all right. I am Jehovah. I am that I am. That's all you need to know for your problem and for your great distress and for your sickness and for your losses and for the uncertainties of the day to come. It's all you need to know. That I am the great I am. And I ask you. What is your concept of God? And would he be worth more? And would you worship him better? And would you commit yourself to him more sincerely? If you only knew one thing. I am. That I am. I am. Hath sent you. I am hath called you. I am hath saved you. I am is near to you. Are you satisfied with the great I am? And Moses knew him that way. Abraham did not. Progressive revelation. And at the same time, David understood some things about God that Moses did not. And Daniel do some things about God that David did not. And, and you and I know some things about God that Daniel did not. Progressive revelation. And I'm not taking time to teach that tonight here. But, but it's an interesting study. But what is our concept of God? And we can, we can know more about God than what some of those people knew about God. Because we have the perfect 
revelation of God in the person of Jesus. And Daniel never saw it. Though the prophets desired to look into it and wanted to understand it, they were, they did not see it. God having a greater thing for us that they without us were not made perfect. It's an interesting study. It's interesting that uh, by the time David came along, he discovered something. That he discovered this God was not, well, he was theocratic. He was not just simply working through these individual lives of people who had influence over certain numbers of souls. He, 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 was a, he had a kingdom, and he was the ruler of this kingdom. David understood that. The God of the kingdom that speaks by the prophets. Daniel saw even more. He understood, he saw more than he could understand. He saw mysteries of the, of the new covenant that he never experienced. And in righteousness that comes by union with God. But he was gone before the time came when we could experience it together. It was Christ himself who revealed the mysteries of this new covenant. Revealed to us God. And taught that it's not in tabernacles. Nor in temples. But in the human heart. Where God abides. Why don't we just stand. Give my voice a rest. And sing a hymn together. Eternal Father. When to thee By faith I soar before thy boundless majesty. I stand in silence and adore, but Savior thou art by my side, thy voice I hear, thy face I see, thou art my friend, my daily Yeah. 
revelation it's not an altar fire it's not a tabernacle worship it's not a great big temple or cathedral where God dwells what is your concept of God he's looking for a dwelling place he looks for an abode and we will come and make our abode with you praise the Lord you may be seated Just what is our concept of God? Now, what is a concept? Here, I'm going to take you just a, back to the schoolroom just for a few minutes. And now, we don't have a blackboard up here. We don't need one. Use your imagination, and we'll give you a couple points. How to form a concept in your mind. And what you think about. And what you understand something to be is your concept of it. And your concept of anything is different from anybody else's. There are some things that you agree with in other people, but your concept is different. You will soon find out why. And that is why He is our own God. Because our concept of Him is unique to what has happened between God and us. But you start off in life with five senses and you perceive things. That is, you hear them or you see them or you touch them or you smell them or you taste them. And these senses come into you and you all kinds of information come your way. And so these things come in here. And many of the things that you perceive bounce right off your mind as water off a duck's back. It never gets in. But every once in a while you stop and you look. And this thing registers. You were following a car in the way here tonight. Tell me what the license plate number was. And you saw it. But you don't know what it was. Didn't pay enough attention. Didn't register it. Wasn't important. Bounced off. Probably three quarters of this sermon will do that to some of you. Bounce off. Yet you're hearing it. Bounce off. Depends how hungry you are. Bounce off. So the perceptions come. And when those things come in here, they get our attention. And then we turn to that. And the time comes, we want, we want to understand what this is, what it means, what it's for. We want, we want understanding. We, 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 our minds work like this. We want to understand things. That's why children ask endless questions. It's a beautiful thing for children to ask questions. The best school teacher in all the world is sitting and standing in front of children, school children who ask questions. And the reason they ask questions is because of the teacher. A good teacher will have students who ask questions. And a poor teacher will have students who do not ask questions. And they don't know how to answer them either. It's as simple as that. person who knows how to ask questions knows how to answer them because the mind is at work. So let's go further. 
Many times we see these things that come to us or hear things that come to us. We hear them incorrectly or inaccurately or see them inaccurately or we, we misunderstood what it was. We didn't have that clear picture. Let me give you an idea. Here's a child in nighttime and it's a moonlit night. He's walking down the sidewalk of a town. And over here to his right, which is towards the east, this, the moon has come up. So when he walks past the church with a steeple, he looks up at the moon and the moon walks past the toe. The moon was on this side. Now the moon's on this side. He, he goes, he gets here to the street corner and so he walks across, across the street. He was on this side of the street, so was the moon. Now he's on this side of the street and so is the moon. He gets across the creek. He goes over the bridge, so does the moon. Now the moon goes over the bridge. And the child gets a wrong concept. He says, wherever I go, the moon follows me. And he has the whole thing wrong. But he doesn't know it. But from what he's looking at it, that's the way it is. That's a concept the child has that's wrong. And, and he, he formed that wrong concept in a very legitimate way. But someone did not help him straighten it out. Concepts in life. And we do that all the time with things. We, we figure wrong. Let me give you an illustration from my own experience in these days with my wife. It's embarrassing the imagination to bring a wife from Costa Rica to the States with a broken hip and bring her up here in an airplane and run her around on a wheelchair and get her from here to there by picking her up and carrying her around. And you say to yourself, Dale, why in the world didn't you do something about that before you got here? And that hip may have been broken for as long as six weeks. Why, it's because what we were seeing and feeling told us that the problem was somewhere else. There was no pain in the hip. If I would tell you what that girl had done with that hip, you would, you would squirm in your chair to realize that the way that's broken, she would sit where she sat and do what she did. Like come down the wooden stairs one step at a time on her seat. Uh, to get down to the bottom of the stairs. And sitting on that, the whole injury. And there was no problem. We didn't know there was anything there. The pain was somewhere else. And so because our perception, our concepts were wrong. We were thinking wrongly about it. That's my mistake. Most of us do things like that in life. But when it comes to thinking wrong about God, it's a serious mistake to make. Many children think that milk comes from a supermarket. They don't know. And why do they think that? Because every time they go in there, the cooler case has milk in it. And when they take several jugs out, the next time they come, it's back in there again. It keeps on coming. The concept is wrong. But they don't understand how a dairy cow works. I'll go a little further with this just to help you understand the importance of how our concept of God is formed. This will get very serious in just a minute. 
But we got very, very serious in just a minute. But you just follow along. A concept of anything in your life, apple pie, Thanksgiving Day, your concept of anything, motherhood, your concept of anything, church agreements, brotherhood, your concept of anything is a component. Three items. Three things form your concepts. The first thing is the symbols that come to your mind, to come to your eyes, your ears, the things you hear, the things you see, process the things that you're observing. That helps you form that. Secondly is the experiences that you have with it. How has this thing related to me? What is my acquaintance with it? What experiences do I have? And your experiences with anything are different from the experiences of others. I love to eat pineapple straight out of the field, take a machete, slice the thing in half, and then slice it into quarters and gulp that thing down. It's a tremendous thing to eat. My wife cannot do it. She gets sick if she eats raw pineapple. If you cook it, she can eat as much as she wants, but not if it's raw. All of us are different. Our experiences are different. And then after we've had processed these, the information that comes to our senses and had experiences with it personally, we develop feelings about those things. And we develop feelings about things depending on how they related to us. Whether it left us with a good, a positive impression, or a negative impression. And that helps us then decide how we think about that from now on. Now, this young lady sitting here was in my schoolroom one time, years ago, and her daddy was a friend of mine, and so it was that two of his daughters were in that classroom. Now, he said, Dale, you're a very unusual teacher. For my one daughter, you can do nothing wrong. And for my other daughter, you do nothing right. He said, what kind of teacher are you? Same teacher, they both had the same perceptions coming to them, hearing the same voice, receiving the same instruction. They had experiences with that teacher. The experiences were different. And the resultant feelings that these two young ladies had in the classroom were vastly different from each other, dealing with the same subject. Whatever happened to make those two girls so different in the schoolroom? Wasn't the teacher the same? Maybe, and maybe not. Let's go a little further. I'm going to illustrate these three things I talked about. The things we perceive with our senses, the experiences we have with it, and then the feelings that result with an illustration that you are well acquainted with. I'm going to take you to the end of the year. Month of December. I'm going to take you to a day that is commonly in this country called Christmas. I'm going to look at the symbols, the things their eyes and their ears hear and receive that relate to Christmas. Just follow me. There are people here tonight that have have, have had over 50 years of experience with Christmas. And there are people here tonight who have not had yet five years experience with Christmas. Well, let's see where this goes. Colorful lights. Children catch those lights when they're riding a car at night. 
They were not there in November. They're there in December. Mama. Mama lights. And the mama says to the child, look, Christmas lights. And the child is looking at these lights. From now on, I'll go faster. Manger scenes. A word pronounced Christmas. And hardly anyone knows that that word Christmas truly means the Christ Mass. That doesn't come. We hear Christmas. We don't know Christ Mass. We don't get that. Later on in life, we learn something different. X-Mass. X-Mass. These are symbols are coming in here, floating our way rapidly. And they're carols. Interesting songs. Little ditty tunes that are not sung throughout the year. And then I think of that Salvation Army lady with that bell in her hand. And she's ringing that bell. And down beside her at her feet, there's this black iron kettle. What's that doing there? And when I was young, I had no idea that that which was going on. I thought this is part of Christmas. You do this. And here's this great big bucket down here. Iron bucket. I didn't get the point. I didn't understand it. I just knew it was one of those symbols that comes in there meaning Christmas. And it was all confusing. But yet you're, you're forming your ideas. Stay with this. Symbols. A cold winter night that was so deep. And somehow the number 25 got mixed into that mix. It comes, comes part of that picture and understanding that we have. And small evergreen trees somehow find themselves into living rooms. And in some cases in Costa Rica on front porches. Wrapping paper, chocolates and cheeses and cookies. These are strong symbols that come up into our minds. Grandmother's house. Shopping. A strange old man. Dressed in red and white. Candy canes. Symbols galore. But now what? Our experience with it. Remember when I was in sixth grade school, public school, not Christian day school. Public school, sixth grade. The, the teachers prepared the children to give what they called a Christmas program. And I still remember very, very well that Christmas program. I remember that the ladies made uh, special suits for these three men. There were three fellows supposed to walk in here, and they were supposed to be wise men. And they were supposed to put these gifts up front here. This little baby was up here. And while all this was happening, there was a young lady sitting over here with a child in her arms, and she was reading us from the Bible. And as she was reading this story, these shepherds were doing this. And, and here was a and, and here these wise men came. And they made a tremendous impression on me. I was experiencing something. When I was in 12th grade, again, public school, we memorized the Christmas section portion of the Handel's Messiah and gave that in a concert. At Christmas time. And I still remember the songs. They made a, it made a deep impression upon me. And though I did not have the privilege of a Christian day school education, some of those songs, some of those hymns, that the time we took to put that together, what was, was a holy influence in my life. 
I remember living in the state of Vermont. We went Christmas caroling in that deep snow up there they have in that snow belt. And when it was over, we would, we would enjoy sugar on snow, if you know what that is, if you're from the north. And those impressions stay. They, they don't move. They're all experiences we have with this. And then, and then feelings. What are your feelings about Christmas? You say, great tidings of comfort and great joy. You say, peace on earth, goodwill to men. You say, gifts and blessings and fellowship and friends and family all together in grandparents' house. And you say, what a warm and cozy and cozy feeling. And those hidden little secretive packages that are stuck way back in corners that all of a sudden are going to appear some morning and you can take the wrapping paper off. It's a beautiful thing, you say. You love it. You look forward to the next year. Wait a minute. Someone is sitting in the audience and says this. Brother Dale. It was the day the mother and father fought and screamed at each other and swore. And mother gathered some things together hastily and put them in a bag and took off out the door. And I have never seen my mother since. And I hope Christmas never comes again. Use your head. The experiences we have affect our feelings. And they make strong impressions on young hearts and lives. And now, that was Christmas. But where is God? Our concept of God. And how is it formed? And why do we think about God the way we think about God? And, and what happened in our young lives that brought us to the place where we understand God the way we do? If we love our church, the children, that little 13-year-old boy, I don't know where he is tonight, he's not sitting there. It's Sunday morning. We're going to church. We'll be there by 9 o'clock. And that little boy just loves to go to church with his parents. And he loves to meet his friends. He feels good while he's there. It's a blessing. He enjoys it. He's going to have a favorable attitude. A favorable concept of God. If home life is safe and secure, daddy and mother accepting the children, the older siblings accepting the younger ones, the children who are capable and able are well accepting a sibling, another son or daughter in the home who is retarded or handicapped or hindered in some way, yet this child is greatly loved and encouraged and never made fun of and never singled out and pointed up when the visitors come. A child in a home like that, where there's that kind of love and peace and acceptance, is going to have a very favorable concept of God. 
daddy and mother love us as children. And they have such a beautiful words for each other in the home. I'll just tell you a little story from our home. We made a lot of mistakes in our home. You'll learn about more of that before the week is over. One day our oldest son went to my, the one that was here last night, he went to my wife and he said this, Mama, when I see Daddy put his hand on your shoulder and just stand there quietly with his hand on your shoulder, somehow or another, I feel so good. I feel everything is so good in our home when Daddy has his hand on your shoulder, Mama. Did you hear that? And do you know what we're doing? We're helping our children form their concepts of God. And how important this is. How serious we should think about this. But listen to this. I'm sorry. But listen to this. But there are conflicts in the congregation. And the ministry is divided. And families are leaving. And my best friend is planning to move away with his parents. What then? And the home is a wreck. And dad is a die-hard conservative. But he has no testimony of peace and victory in his life. People are scared of him. And so am I. But mom makes all the decisions. There's a lot of tension in our home. Dear friends, someone is forming their concepts of God. I'm not afraid of conservatism. I would be considered more conservative than some of the people that are present tonight. Our congregations in Costa Rica, some of them at least would be considered quite conservative to some of you here probably. I am not afraid of conservatism. But I'm going to make a statement that you might choose to try to remember. For the more conservative a position that you take, be sure that your life reflects an equal degree of God's glory in your life. Conservatism without a gospel doxology will destroy your children. A die-hard position that's locked down and bulldogged into the hearts of the children without a glory and a doxology in your testimony. We'll give those children a wrong concept of God. And I'm not saying, turn the thing loose. Open the fences. And stand for nothing. And accept everything. That is not the solution. That's a wrong concept of God also. God is not that way.
How did David come to the concept of God that he spoke about in Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. How many members of the church at Sharon can say, Brother Ivan Weaver is my pastor. I shall not want with a pastor like Brother Ivan Weaver. Where did David learn that? Out there playing that lyre. And here comes a bear. And the bear is bigger than David. The bear can do what David cannot do. And for some reason, David, when he, when he tries to save that sheep from that bear, becomes strangely conscious that he's not doing it by himself. There's some kind of a faith, there's some kind of a belief, there's some kind of understanding that though I am young, I'm taking care of my daddy's flock. There's a heaven who's interested in, in these sheep and the work I am doing. And we have that God for us. And who can be against us? And David learned that. And he told Saul that. He said, this Goliath shall be like that lion and like that bear. David knew very well it did not depend upon his ability with a stone. And the swinging of a sling. I had a children's meeting one time. I asked the children if David was able to destroy Goliath because he bought his slingshot at Cabela's. And they said, no, buying a slingshot at Cabela's would not have brought Goliath down. But God was with David. And David knew that. And we must know that. Where did David get that concept of God? Where did David learn? That against thee, the only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest. Where did David learn that? Concept of God. Where did Ruth learn her concept of God? Where did Eli's two sons learn their concepts of God? Where did my sons learn their concepts of God? That is the deeper question tonight. Dear Father, present this evening, is there anything in your life that you would like God to change tonight? When you realize your responsibility in forming concepts of God in the life of your family, is there something in your life that you wish God would change? What do you plan to do about that? I wanted to take you a little journey through the letter of 1 John and give you a New Testament concept of God. Maybe I'll start with that tomorrow night. Maybe we'll stop right here where we are. 
How do we form our concepts of God? I remember the Lord used some very, very beautiful experiences in my life to help me understand what God was like. And and I, I was a very unlikely candidate to ever understand God, the God of the Bible. A very unlikely candidate. With very, very difficult situations that would not have prepared a young man to be able to enter into the secrets of the holy and learn to know the true God of the Bible. I was an unlikely candidate. But along the way, God used some choice people. Some people were not church people, were not necessarily godly people. But God used them at unique points in my life and referred me to God. I remember the on one occasion I had been silenced from the ministry. That happened on a Saturday night. Sunday was one very, very difficult day for me. I had no way to prepare myself for the difficulties of that day, Sunday. Pastor of that congregation on Saturday morning, but not on Sunday morning. And now Monday morning. And I was an electrician. I was wiring a a large restaurant. And the owner that was building this restaurant came in, and he was a virtually an ungodly man. And I was up on a ladder in the wall. And when I saw him coming, I thought he wanted to talk to me about something, so I came down the ladder. And what surprise I had when he said to me, Dale, something's wrong. Tell me what's wrong. Something is bothering you, Dale. What is wrong? And I didn't want to say it. I didn't know he could say it. I felt embarrassed. And for some strange reason, I just bowed my head and told him the story. And he was very quiet. He said nothing. I wish he'd walk away. I don't want to hear anything from him. And after all, he said these words. Dale, that is really heavy stuff. It was quiet. and said nothing more. And I was waiting, but he didn't walk away. And then he said, Dale, don't run. Stay where you are. Be faithful to what you're doing. Don't run. Stay put. And for some strange reason, I felt that God told him to give me those words. I thank God for those words. And I did what I was told to do. And seven months later, the congregation came back. The brothers of the congregation came and said, we are really struggling in our church. Would you please help us? Would you accept a responsibility in our congregation? We can't go on like this. Will you help us? The God of the Bible. Verses that have come to my heart that people have brought to me. Lessons we've learned from others. You drew us close to the presence of God. Dear people, it all depends on this. 
Is there from your heart tonight a sincere cry to know the God of the Bible and be obedient to His Word and be faithful to His call in your life and serve Him with all your heart? Is there a call in your life to do that? Would you sincerely be able to tell God tonight, I am yours and all that I have. Do with me whatever pleases you and brings glory to your name. And mean it with all your heart. Are you willing to do that? How are you going to know the true God of the Bible without that complete sacrifice and surrender to God? Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not. Lo, in the book it is written of me, I come to do thy will, O God, not my will, but thine be done. You will know the God of the Bible when that is your relationship with him. God will take up the work from there and do a holy thing in your life. Let us pray. Father in heaven tonight, touch our lives with the truth of your presence, the truth of your love to us, the truth of your care for us, the truth of your mercy towards us. Show us what you can do with our rebellions and our addictions and our dirtiness, our uncleanness. Show us what you choose to do with that. Give us, O God, a heart for you, a love for you. Teach us to worship you. Teach us to worship and bow down and kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Teach us, O God, to want to be holy. Teach us, O God, to want to be pure. Teach us, O God, to want to be like you. Teach us, O God, to shine forth your image. Teach us, O God, to receive your words. Teach us, O God, To bless your church. Teach us, O God, to heal the sicknesses and diseases. Teach us, O God, to heal the divisions and the ruptures between daddies and mamas and parents and their children. Teach us, O God, to pour oil upon the needy souls of men. Teach us, O God, to walk in this earth as lights in a dark place, as a city set on a hill, as a testimony for the Lord Jesus. Teach us, O God, to give everything to you, O Father. Would you bless this assembly tonight? Would you bless this, dear people, this evening? Would you bless us with understanding of God? Would you give us a hunger and thirst for righteousness so that we might be filled? We pray your blessing upon the remainder of these tent meetings this week. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we stand? Before we go home tonight, I'm not going to sing this song with you as an invitation hymn. This song tonight with you as a consecration hymn. I sing this song with you tonight and ask you to join your voices if you truly mean, if you truly mean that as you are and who you are and where you are, you bring that all to Christ the way you are. Will you sing that tonight? with me before we leave.
and they were dismissed at the end of the stanza. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to God bless you tonight. I am that uh, we had to use more decibels than necessary to understand what we were trying to say. And I don't like to holler or shout at people. I don't hope that you thought that we are uh, to scare you to the back parts of the tent. I just wanted you to understand what we said. Seem be upon you, and maybe by tomorrow night. We'll have a little more artificial uh, preparation here to get us through the service. So the Lord's rich blessing to you and pray for the meeting for the Wednesday night. We, and uh, if you would do one more thing. There, there's some surgery scheduled for noontime tomorrow. I know a family would really appreciate your prayers on that behalf. If you would remember that around noontime tomorrow. May God bless you as you go.